Welcome to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. This is a podcast where we talk all things culture, leadership and teamwork across business and sport. Hello and welcome to the Culture of Things podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Rogers, and this is episode 48. Today I'm talking with Norman Wolf. Norman is the founder and CEO of Quantum Leaders. He's a leading voice in bringing about a transformation of the core paradigm of business. Norman is a 15-year veteran of Hewlett-Packard. He's led companies large and small, been a public company director, and has over 30 years consulting and mentoring leaders in a wide range of industries. He's the author of The Living Organization, which is an application of the core principles of how the world works to how organizations and individuals can create extraordinary impact. The focus of our conversation today is the Living Organization Framework and how it can help leaders in organizations achieve the results they're aiming for. Norman, welcome to the Culture of Things podcast. Thank you, Brandon. It's nice to know you, and it's been a pleasure getting to know you. It's nice to be here. Mate, thank you for coming on. We've had a bit of a chat before the podcast, as I always like to do, so we continue to get to know each other. Now, you're a a mystical sort of person, mate. you, You told me about your love of pottery. Tell me a bit more about this. I'm a philosopher by nature. That's my core center of my being. And, and in that world, I'm thinking about big picture things, small, how do you apply it to daily living and all of that. And I was blessed to, to marry a, a woman, my wife, Jane, who is a creative type. So she's an artist and she's an eclectic artist. So she gets involved in all different kinds of art forms, which has really been a wonderful, it's been Challenging at times because we literally live in two different worlds and see the world from two different lenses, if you will. But that's also been a beautiful thing because I've expanded her world and she has certainly, certainly expanded my world and learning to see the world through a different set of eyes. And and so through her, we built a ceramic studio a year ago because she likes to sculpt in clay. And I was always drawn to this kind of mystical notion of uh, the pottery wheel and throwing plates and dishes and and I don't mean throwing against the wall. I mean, you know, shaping cups and mugs and vases and dishes uh, out of clay. So, yeah, so that's how I got into it. And and, and you're right, it does have a you know, mystical or spiritual aspect to it. There's something about working with clay that has taught me about a lot about working in life. There's a there's a corollary, if you will, between molding clay and molding life outcomes and the thing about clay that i'm learning is if you try to force it it's not very cooperative and every piece gets messed up it just gets out of ground off center it collapses it's too thin in one place too thick in another but if you learn to be in relationship with the clay if you learn to communicate with the clay and listen to the clay and and sense the clay it's almost like it becomes a dance and the clay wants to form into your hands if you let it. And so it becomes easy and magical and beautiful all at the same time, which is very similar to other things in life I do, like golf. Golf is 90% mind game. Once you learn the basic physics of you know the movements and the, and the body movements, most of life becomes this kind of dance with life. So yeah, I'm kind of a mystical guy, I guess. Like I see life through that kind of lens. We're going to dive into that the 
the interesting thing when you started talking about clay and how it doesn't always operate when you force it, it sounds a bit like people, doesn't it? When we force them into doing things, they don't always play the ball game that you want. So let's talk about that and the living organization. First of all, I just want you to explain fundamentally what is this living organization framework and you know what you've this book you've authored. Well, to understand the living organization framework, it's useful to have a, a contrasting point of view. And if you think about the way we go about creating outcomes in life, we focus a lot on the things we do to get what we want. And certainly in, in businesses, uh, which is where my my passion lies, is, is people in, in organizations coming together to try to accomplish an objective or a goal or to serve a community or a customer base. If you look at how we think about getting the outcomes we want, the, the results we want, it's very mechanistic. And it's very geared towards thinking of it as, I'll go back to the clay example since we started with that. I want to make a bowl. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the clay on the on the wheel. I'm going to spin the wheel. I'm going to simply put my hands and it's going to magically center itself. And then I'm going to open it up and I'm going to just shape it right into it and that's it, right? So off you go, gentlemen and ladies, and go make it happen, right? That's the way we run businesses, right? It's it's very rational, logical, organized, sequential, what we call activity-based. And if people had the right skills and the right knowledge and the right understanding, they would just do what, what's necessary and get the job done. Yeah, that would be nice if people were really, if organizations were really machines and people were really the component parts of the machine and I was able to tweak each person and then just plug them in and, and off the machine goes. Unfortunately, that's not the way it works. So we struggle getting the results we want because we're dealing with only one dimension, if you will, of what it makes, how results get created. In our earlier conversation, I was mentioning if I as a coach, let's say we were I was coaching you for skiing or golf or or just coaching you in marketing, whatever whatever you were trying to achieve, and I was your coach, I would look at your skill set, your activity, what you do and how you do it and your form and and you know make suggestions about how to change that. And also probably since no man is an island or no woman is an island, I would probably look at the relationships you have and and what's your interpersonal skills. And when you're when you're talking to somebody, what's your tone and what's your sense of connection and how well do you listen and, and all of that? Because, hey, you're not going to accomplish your goals if you're a golfer and you're on the course and you piss everybody off and, and your caddy doesn't want to help you and you're not getting the advice you need during the, the round and and you know it all and who needs anybody, right? So your relationships will impact how you get things done. But I also, as a coach, recognize that your mindset, your belief systems, your assumptions about what is and is not possible, about how life works and what happens when X, Y, Z, how you're supposed to respond because you've been sort of programmed through life experiences to respond that way, what, what we call the context of your life. As a coach, I'm going to worry about all of that. And if I don't, I'm not being a very effective coach. Right? And if you look at the greatest coaches of teams or individuals, they pay more attention to the context that you bring into the activity than the activity you're doing. And you reach a certain level of competency, and it's not your it's not your skills anymore that's getting in your way. A pro golfer, there's not one pro golfer on the on the golf course or skier or or potter 
who doesn't have the basic skills necessary to achieve their goals. There's nobody in marketing or sales that has been there a couple of years that doesn't have the basic skills. So we can write off the activity as the dominant problem. But that's what we keep focusing on. Let's improve the processes. Let's improve the activity. Let's let's streamline the machine and let's make it more efficient. And we ignore the relationships and context. Again, a great perspective. I think sometimes we find or leaders find those machinery type parts much easier to measure than the context relationship parts. But I want to tap into that given that we're a, a cultural leadership and teamwork podcast. You mentioned context a bit and relationships You've also used the term human dynamics, not in that conversation, but previously and and reading up on some of the stuff. Can you just explain that a little bit more? Because context is just so important in life. And I know in the work that I do, talk a lot about situational awareness, and it sounds like context, situational awareness is quite similar. But can you share a bit more of the detail around that for us? So if I look at an organization as a living being, as a person, people have certain attributes, they have certainly certain skill sets. They also have a personality. And you can tell this. I mean, think back to the Apple and Microsoft commercials, right? Apple was represented as this hip, cool guy, and Microsoft was represented as stiff, suit and tie kind of person, right? And you can almost see that play out in, in the way the products operate, in the way the company itself operates, right? They have personalities. Well, Every organization has a personality. Go inside an organization and ask the CEO, what's the uh, sales department like versus the accounting department? And they won't have, they will have absolutely zero problem explaining the personality. They won't call it that, explaining the personality. So you can think of culture as an organizational personality because it is, you know, and what makes up a personality? Well, my core beliefs, my assumptions about life, the choices I'm going to make and behaviors that stem from those core assumptions. Those core assumptions, those those foundational beliefs, those deep-seated values and beliefs about what the meaning of life is. And and they're really set in stories. It's the stories of life that I walk around with that guides my behaviors. The reason I call them stories is because stories can be changed. So that's a key point. And every coach knows that. Call it reframing your context or reframing your stories. And so think about it. If I have an outcome I want to achieve, and as a leader, I'm doing A and I want to start doing B. Well, pretty much every leader knows that if I'm going from A to B, but we don't change the behaviors, we keep doing the same thing over and over again, I'm not going to get the outcome. The the old definition, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. So we do everything we can to try to motivate the change in behavior. But the problem is, Behaviors are natural outflows of context. So we're trying to change the behavior, but not addressing the context. You can call that double insanity. I mean, how would we ever get the outcomes we want if we don't understand the existing stories that were grown up as the company grew and how that has reinforced certain behavior patterns and how that context has created the systems and processes we we fall into day after day and the rituals, the informal systems and processes the meaning behind the activities. And if we don't spend time reframing those underlying stories and creating a new one, a new scaffolding, new rituals and processes, how are we ever going to get there? You can't. So you want to know why 70% of all strategic initiatives fail to achieve their objectives? Well, (laughs) it's probably a pretty good reason behind it. 
The good news is, and, and this is why I spent time creating the living organization model, because it was really designed to answer these questions. The good news is that there is another way that makes achieving results so much easier. Just stop thinking of it as machine and start thinking of it as a human being. One little problem is you got to learn some new skills. You got to learn the skills of a coach, not the skills of a business leader in the traditional sense. You got to learn how to develop, mature, nurture, grow the shift context, help people to help the collective develop a new way of being. I had one CEO when he finally clicked in him when I was talking about, he said, oh my God. If I change the context of the collective, it will change the context of all the people in it. And I go, now you're catching on. So instead of trying to, like everybody goes in and does culture change or try to change the individuals and start at the grassroots and work their way up, we work the other way around. Change the context of the collective. And people will either shift with the context or self-select out. Not to do anything. You know, if a person doesn't want to be in this a person doesn't want to play rugby and they'd rather play football, they're going to choose a different game. So if we're all of a sudden been a rugby thing and now we're playing football, some people aren't going to want to play that. That's okay. That's okay. We shouldn't force people into being something they, they're not. At the same time, when, when you open up the new opportunities, you got a whole lot of people who love to play football, come join your team, and they'll really flourish in that environment. So with the living organization, we actually create two, th- we solve two problems, you know, kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. One is we make organizations much more effective at creating the outcomes they want because we understand all of the dynamic forces that are affecting it, what we call activity, relationship, and context. The second problem we solve is we create organizations where people flourish. And the more they flourish, the more they contribute. The more they contribute, the more the organization achieves its goal. The more it achieves its goal, the more people flourish. You got a positive synergistic, you know, a positive vicious cycle, if you will. And that's the beauty of the living organization framework. Yeah. And there's not too many leaders around, I wouldn't have thought, that wouldn't like some of those outcomes every day in the businesses they're working in. So let's go into the parts of the living organization. There's energy, there's living being, and there's the living organization approach. Can you talk a bit about those three areas and the importance of them? The first key thing is to recognize that these three forces, activity, relationship, and context, are constantly playing off each other, are constantly in relationship. So you have to you have to understand how they work. First of all, you have to accept that they exist and that they're present, whether you are paying attention to them or not, they're having an impact. It's like you know, sailing a boat across the river. You can say, hey, I don't see the current, so it doesn't exist, or I don't know what to do with the current, so it doesn't exist. Good luck. Right, the current exists and it's going to impact you. So you should learn about the current. So we teach about activity, relationship, and context forces and how to address them. The one that's least addressed or most uncomfortable is context, because for a lot of people, that's like, wait a minute, I'm getting inside a person's head and I shouldn't do that. You know, there's an old kind of implied rule of the existing leadership paradigm is you never mess around with somebody's, you know, you don't talk about attitude. Attitude is something you can, you don't mess around with people's belief systems and all of that. Well, that's that's really silly because the belief systems is what's driving their behaviors. Now, how you do that is another skill set you need to learn. So I want to be very clear about it. You just don't go in and, and muck with a person's belief. It doesn't belong to you to muck with, but you can make it visible and you can bring people to a place of choice where they can choose whether they want to 
hold on to their belief system or shift it so they become more effective at what they want to do. So this is the coaching notion that I was talking about. So one of the key th- theories behind the living organization, and we call it the three-dimensional view of an organization, is recognizing that it's got uh, activity, relationship, and context operating all the time. And because everything flows from context, context has the highest leverage factor for a leader. And so if you learn to work with context energy, which has to do with understanding the beliefs, understanding the stories that formulate those beliefs, understanding how to engage people in, in releasing old beliefs or assumptions and, and adopting new ones. And these are skills everybody can learn. I wasn't a great coach when I started. So I learned how to do this stuff. So this is not rocket science. And I teach other people how to do this. So it's not rocket science. So that's the first part of it. The, the second part is to recognize that a lot of the elements of managing a business are still very valid. Take strategy, for example, or you know your traditional SWOT analysis. What are my strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats? Well, if we just look at it from the traditional way, we again leave off relationship and context. So what if we did a SWOT analysis instead of one-dimensional, two, three-dimensional? So we looked at, okay, what are our strengths and weaknesses? And what's the underlying context that's creating that? And if I can just change that, how would that change our strengths and weaknesses, shift the balance of power? So we take existing frameworks, existing tools, lean operations for process improvement or any sort of process improvement, Six Sigma, lean, whatever you want to use, total quality management. And we just incorporate into that this, this framework. So we, we allow use leaders to use the tools they know and just add the three dimensions to it rather than just one dimension. So that, that's the second key. And the third key to it is, is the skill sets that leaders need to do this. How do I walk into an organization and learn how to sense the context? You walk into most companies, just walk into the lobby of the company, and you typically can pick up something about the company, right? There's a feel to it. Walk into any restaurant, and one restaurant will have a different vibe to it than another one. Well, what's happening is you, you're sensing some energy field, and it's giving you a lot of information about what's going on. So what if we can train you as a leader to be able to walk into a department and sense what's going on? pick up the vibe, pick up the personality vibration that's going on and use that as additional information to guide you. So there's some skills you have to learn as a leader. I, you know, this sounds very airy-fairy maybe to a lot of people, but when I was at HP, we learned this, this wonderful skill called management by wandering around. And it wasn't just that you wandered around aimlessly. You actually, we were taught, literally taught how to wander around to pick up information that would tell us before the reports were in, what the reports were going to say at the end of the month. I remember sitting down doing our division reviews uh, where we had all the sales managers and the salespeople come up and give us their business plan, how much they were going to do this coming year, or how they were going to meet their quotas and all of that. And I'd listen to them. And they say, one guy would say, I'm going to do 1.9 million. Mm, no, he's sandbagging. He's going to do more like 2.3. And another guy would come in, would say, I'm going to do 1.5 million. Yeah, he's blowing smoke. He's going to do 1 million. And I'd add up the numbers that I got from what they got. And my boss, who taught me how to do this, would do the same thing. He and I would come up with almost the exact same number. And that's the number we ended up doing. You can sense when people are 
puffing things up, when they're sandbagging. You just you learn to sense this. You can't, it's not what they say, it's not how they it's just there's something about how they say it that comes across. You run into this all the time. You you see somebody on the air and they're just talking in a certain way. You go, ah, bullshit. <laughs> BS meter, off the charts. Where is that information coming from? And what if you can actually learn the skill of using that as a critical data point in, in your decision making? So we teach certain skills, and we call this skill heart-centered wisdom, because really it's it's learning to tune into into the heart or the body's wisdom, the the energetic field of the body, and learning to tune the the data gathering device, the receiver, to a different frequency. And then taking that information, adding it with the head, the logical, rational part with the other data, and then making a decision from the head and the heart. So that's one of the skills we teach. And, and that's really a critical one because from there, you, you learn how to do heart-centered communication, for example, which is taking active listening to a whole nother level where I'm actually creating this field of energy around me as I'm listening to you and you're feeling it and you're feeling safe because I'm really connecting to you energetically, not just what I'm hearing. I'm not off processing what you're saying and trying to figure out how I'm going to get, you know, convince you of something. I'm just, I'm just letting you be you. And you want to talk about creating psychological safety in companies. That's probably the only way you're going to ever do that. So these are the skills. So the three part is activity, relationship, and context, learning to apply it to the existing tools you're already using and learning some new skills as a leader to facilitate engaging one and working with context and just picking up new information, not only for your people, but from the marketplace and from your customers. Our interview will continue after this. An expression of gratitude or reciprocity, no matter how large or small, is an important part of a healthy culture and relationships. Our friends at Jangler have a great app that allows you to send a gift card with a personal video voice message, or funny GIF. You can send right away or schedule to send on the perfect day and time. Set and forget. I like that. I have found it perfect for clients, employees, birthdays, or any celebration where I can't be there in person. It's quick, easy to send, and you can spend instantly, in-store or online, when you receive a card. Check it out at jangler.com.au. Mate, let's focus on the skills part as we can give people some actionable items and context. If there's one takeaway for me today, it's the importance of context in the whole living organization framework. You talked about the vibe, the personality. I love what you're saying about culture is the personality of the organization. You've also mentioned heart-centered wisdom. Love that term. Learning heart-centered wisdom as one of the skills, and we'll go into a couple of the other skills that you believe are most impactful to start with. How does a leader become more heart-centered wisdom or or better at heart-centered wisdom? The first step that we teach is to understand, I use the word understand, it's really more accept the reality that you are a energy receiver and transmitter. So when I'm in a a heavily mental state, I'm transmitting a certain frequency, being in that state, and people pick it up. And, you know, there's no way. If I am upset, I don't have to say anything. I just have to walk into the room. People know it, right? So the concept is not hard to understand. And so once you accept that, then the question becomes, okay, so how do I 
learn to manage that? How do I learn to tune my body? Well, emotions and frequency are highly correlated. So one of the key emotions that we find, and one of the reasons we call it heart-centered, one of the key emotions we find that allows the body to settle into a state of openness, curiosity, discovery, transjudgmental, if you will, knows without judgments or preferences, accepting things as it is, is the state of love. Now, again, I don't want to get too sound too airy-fairy because love is just a frequency that we vibrate at. So just think of it as a, a specific frequency on, on, a, on, a, on a dial. And it's easy to do. I mean, all you have to do is think of times when you feel love or inspired or in awe, like watching a beautiful sunset or seeing the smile of a baby, just the pure innocence of a baby smile. I can see it in your face already. It doesn't take a lot to learn to shift the frequency of our body. And that's one of the practices we teach in our workshop is how to actually consciously choose to shift the frequency of the body. We call it learning to pause, center, shift. So you pause your current blah, 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 whatever's going on. Bring your awareness to the center of your being, typically the heart. That's a good place to just visualize. And then bring in an image, a situation, an event that allows you to re-experience that state of being that you want to experience. And all of a sudden, you're there. All of a sudden, life looks differently. And one of the exercises we do in our workshop is to, they all come to the workshop with a challenge. Our workshops are very practical in nature, very concrete. And, and we apply all of these principles to that particular challenge so they can actually experience it in real life working. And so we have them look at the challenge from this place. Actually, we have them do two things. One is think about the challenge and everything you've been thinking about. And then it's a challenge because it's not solved. So they're still ruminating about it. And we ask them to continue to ruminate about it. And then we say, pause, center, shift, and now enter into relationship with the challenge. Like it's that piece of clay I was talking about earlier, right? And let the challenge speak to you and, and see what shows up. Play with it, dance with it, and see if something new comes up. 75 to 85% of the time, people get some insight or wisdom on how to shift, the, shift their thinking so that they now have new options to solve the challenge in ways they never thought of before. That's the power of it. And it's an easy skill to learn. And of course, it requires practice. Things like mindfulness, uh, meditation, or other tools people can use to stimulate that. Our approach really is just to get people to taste it, if you will, to have a ex positive experience of it. So they're encouraged to practice it every day and just spend five, 10 minutes centering in the heart. And it gets so comfortable and so easy that when you're in the middle of a crisis, you can go, pause. Center, shift, see it newly, see it differently, and boom, you're there. And I do it all the time. I mean, I'm I'm not immune from getting really pissed off and upset at things, but I've learned the art of, of shifting myself, and it allows me to engage the person, the situation with a different quality, and that changes the outcomes vastly. I'll get you to talk about it, maybe a couple of other of the skills in a minute, but what I want to pull it back to, and, and again, talking context, in the context of a leader or leaders being in these hustle and bustle workplaces that we suppose you all work in, how do you give them a sort of context where they need to make space for this, that they're seeing the benefits in making space for this in their busy lifestyle? How do you, how do you encourage them to give this a crack? Well, I do it two ways. One is through our workshop specifically, 
I'm giving them a taste of solving problems from a different place that's got a whole lot less stress to it. The second place if, is if I'm coaching the leader, which you know obviously I do a lot of, I'm inviting them to look at their context of why they feel they need to be in such control, such activity-based control. And then I invite them to experiment. I don't, I don't ask them to change the world overnight, but I, we find places where they can experiment a little bit and see how it changes the outcomes. Are they getting the outcomes with less stress? Are they getting the outcomes with a sense of calm about it? Are they getting more insight? Are they learning a sense of pacing? Are they still achieving things? Are things happening faster or slower? You know, I mentioned during our earlier talk, this is counter-instinctual. Like I was talking about skiing and how leaning downhill is counter-instinctual to everything, every fiber of my body knows. Leaning downhill would kill me. And yet we know that leaning downhill when you're on skis make going downhill a whole lot less effort and really fast and just easy flowing. So I take them on bunny slopes. I don't take them to the top of the mountain and ask them to change overnight because that's, that's silly and it's also dangerous. So I take them on bunny slopes, experiment, let's try it. Let's, let's take one situation you're facing and see if this works or see how it works. How does it help? What belief systems are you holding that are preventing it? A lot of leaders have beliefs that they were conditioned with and they don't even know they hold about what their role is. They don't know they can do something different and get better results. So they're just operating from what they know is possible or what they can and cannot do. So we do a lot of coaching to help them and to help their organization shift as well. Because when you when you begin to shift the collective, you know, I have one leader who, who was talking to me and goes, God, I've been so busy and I'm just getting involved in some of the challenges that my people are in. And he's going on and on. And I said, wouldn't you like to have an organization that can just handle that by themselves. His eyes roll up and his breath, his body lessens. His, oh, that would be so sweet. I said, well, it's possible. You know, if we treat, your, if we treat this department like a, like a living being and we help mature them, it's just like you got kids who keep coming to daddy asking you what to do. And daddy, you know, Sally over here is not behaving the way she should and she's getting in my way. And so you, you'll get sucked into all those day-to-day problems. What if you have people, or, you know, people, individual organizations as a person, and you help mature them so they know how to talk to each other and solve their own problems and manage the conflicts in a way that's good for the whole, just like you do with your kids and the family? Wouldn't that be, oh, God, can that really be possible? <laughs> and so off we go. We teach them how to do that. So that's how we deal with it. That's, we try to help them see a new way of thinking could be possible. A little while ago, you mentioned control and flow. Once again, can you talk to that a little bit in the context of the living organization framework and just the, I guess the mindset around leaders that come from this place of control versus flow and what a difference flow actually makes? You keep bringing me back to some of my metaphors like skiing and, and uh, pottery. They are fantastic metaphors, mate. Maybe that's why I keep, <laughs> I'm in the flow and bringing you back to those. <laughs> you know, I, I started this whole thing. The funny thing about my life is I'm a control freak. <laughs> I spent my whole life trying to control the outcomes I get. You know, like everybody else, I want what I want when I want it. And why wouldn't I? And, you know, when, I, when something flowed really easily and it was almost effortless, I go, wow, I want more of that. And when things, you know, were really hard and I struggled, I got what I wanted, but boy, was it a struggle and fighting. 
I'd go, I like the outcome, but can I do it more like the other way than this way? You know? And so I spent my whole life basically seeking that. And the interesting thing, and it goes back to pottery, like I talked about, the clay will want to move to the shape of my hands if I don't force it. If I just ease it into it, flow. I ski much better if I don't force the skis around, but I allow the skis to do what they're designed to do, flow. I can create better results if I work with these energies of life, especially the energy of context, knowing how it shapes behaviors. And I can shift that context so that my belief systems and the underlying assumptions from which my behaviors flow naturally and the outcomes flow from my behaviors, if I can shift my context, then I will behave the way that give me the outcomes I want. I don't have to work on it. I don't have to use a lot of muscle and willpower and control over things. It's just just the way I believe. That's if that's the way I believe. That's the way. and so that has a lot to do with people are calling it mindset or our thought patterns and and how we think and what we're thinking and control. I've learned comes out of the fear of me not getting what I want. Flow comes out of the belief that what I want will naturally happen. I call them two different mindsets, but one is really easy, and it's almost like miracles happen. Like how did that happen so easy? I didn't even work hard. Some people have a belief system that if you don't work hard, it's not supposed to happen. So I've got to work hard. But think about that belief system. <laughs> if that's my belief system, if that's what I think, then that's what I'm going to do because I can't create any other way. And so life's going to be hard. And they're going to complain, oh, God, life's so hard. And why is it so hard? Well, it's so hard because you believe it's so hard. You know, It's that kind of understanding that allowed me to create more of what I want and work with the flow of life stop fighting against it, invite the clay to form into the way I want it to form and let it do its thing. I'll just be a container holding it to allow it to do it. If, if leaders thought about the job like that, like they were they were a container shaping and letting, letting the energies flow into that shape naturally, they wouldn't have a lot of effort to get what they want. In Frederick Leloux's book, uh, Reinventing Organizations, he talks about my model in it and he talks about how Leaders who followed this plan, basically, led with context, made things happen in such an easy way. It almost happened by magic, I think, is the way his quote goes. And that's what I've always believed. It's it's magic only because it looks so easy. You can't possibly be in control of it. It's just happening by magic. But really, it's it's a skill we can learn. Yeah, beautifully put, mate. And the scene that keeps coming into my head crazily, but I think when you talk about flow and is this why it's such a famous scene in people's head, Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore in that movie Ghosts and and the pottery and the pottery didn't end up too well, but some other things flowed uh, at risk of sort of making this episode the, the wrong type of episode. We won't go into that, but it I can sort of feel what you're saying, just ref, you know having that thought come back into my mind. But look, let's go back into the, how about you give us a couple of other I guess what you would consider the most impactful skills, keys around context to help leaders get better in this area. So we have three other core skill sets besides heart-centered wisdom. So obviously heart-centered wisdom is learning the foundational skill, if you will, of tuning the frequency of the body. So it's in tune with and can pick up information and can transmit energy that will facilitate people feeling safe and wanting to get involved and some of those things, increase engagement, increase psychological safety and all of that. So we, we're learning certain skills around, you know, centering the hearts. 
The next key skill set is what we call storytelling and ritual. And this is critical to understand how we create the stories of our lives that give life meaning. And so learning how we create them allows us to learn how to reframe them and learning how we build what we call scaffolding to support our existing stories, rituals, reactions, responses to life. It's not just a story, but it gives the story meaning. I set up my, I mean, I'm, I'm typically an organized person, right? Organization is one of the stories that I create that says, if I want to be successful, I want to not waste time. And, and so getting things organized, having things put in a particular place is a good thing. Well, a creative person, an artist, for example, doesn't think putting things away isn't really important. Getting things done efficiently isn't really important. It's allowing that freedom and the creative spirit and a little bit of chaos. And and so their lives are oriented completely differently. And it's not one is better than the other. It's just the story I told about how I'm going to be successful as an engineer, logical, rational, scientific, is very different. I, I want to eliminate chaos. Artists want to swim in chaos because out of chaos comes creativity. So, you know, two different worldviews, and they're both valid. And the question is, how do, we, how do we dance with both? So storytelling and ritual, understanding these stories and how they get created and how to work with them and how to give them meaning and how to support them with different structures for the organization as a whole, the, the person of the organization is the second skill set. The third skill set is what we call improv mindset. If we really think about life today versus, you know, whatever, 20, 30, you know, 100 years ago, it's moving very, you know, people talk about a VUCA world. Well, volatility comes out of uncertainty. Complexity creates ambiguity. And so if we're living with an uncertain world and we really can't predict and control what's going to happen next and what's going to be around the corner, how a new competitor is going to show up out of nowhere, how technology is going to shift the dynamics and taxi companies are going to be threatened by Uber, who doesn't have an asset to its name, and, and yet they're grabbing all the traffic, or Airbnb, who doesn't own a hotel. You know, I mean, you don't know what's going to come and hit you. Facebook in, in the 1990s or 2005, whenever they came out, changed the whole dynamic of marketing overnight. Everybody had to throw out the marketing plan. We are not trained to deal with uncertainty, to, to deal with this interruptions to our normal patterns. But there's a group of people that literally train themselves and it's an art form that's been around for well over 3,000 years, dating back to the Roman times, called improvisation. You got improvisation theater, you've got improvisation comedy, which most people think about improv as comedy. You got improvisation music, which is jazz. You've got improvisation all over the place. Improvisation art. My wife is an artist and she does a lot of improv, improv uh, quilting which is quilt without following any pattern, right? It's just improvising it. So improv is a wonderful skill set. And one of the things it teaches you is how to accept whatever shows up and deal with it as it is without getting thrown off center. One of the skills that's very helpful in doing that is heart-centered wisdom, being able to stay centered in who you are without preference or judgment to whatever shows up. It's a state of being that you can learn. So we teach that. And then how to build on that, how to how to riff off of that and, and to create something beautiful. So, you know, you can think of brainstorming at, you know, on steroids when we do improv problem solving. It's like really getting into the juice of creating something absolutely crazy and then finding some magic in all of that. That's exactly what everybody's been looking for. 
So improv mindset and how to utilize that and how to work with it. And there's a third skill we teach. And the fourth skill we teach really addresses this issue of complexity and the ambiguity that it creates. And we call it uh, integrating opposites. It comes a lot from Barry Johnson's work on improv, uh, excuse me, uh, polarity thinking. So I want to and give a shout out to his work because we draw a lot from that. And basically, it's the recognition that the physical world is naturally made up of duality. You talked about how I'm a mystical guy, so I'll jump into that a little bit. And you think about it, everything is a, a yin and a yang, a black and a white, an up and a down, an in and an out. And you can't have a coin that's just a head. It's got to have the tail. But everything in life has its, its opposite. And we think of opposites as opposing forces. And one is always better than the other, or one is preferred over the other. And I don't want, but that's like saying, hey, I want a coin with only a head. I don't want any tails or vice versa. I don't care which one you want. You know, that's not possible, right? They go together. So integrating opposites is learning how to make opposites complements. How do they play with each other? How do they dance off each other? When is the negative of one, the positive of the other? How do I learn when to shift the balance? A couple of the classic ones in business, stability versus change. If all you had was change all the time, there'd be net, nothing ever settled. You wouldn't have a sense of who you are. What's, what do we believe in? We're always changing. There's no, there's no substance here. It's just mush. If all I had was stability, that'd be great. I'd have all those things I'm missing, but there'd be no dynamism. It's boring. It's the same old, same old every day. Human nature, life itself flows naturally from one to the other. And being able to sense where you are in that flow. Another big one is centralization versus decentralization. There are times when we want to centralize the hell out of the organization, and then we want to let it go. And then we want to bring it back. And then we want to let it go. And then we want to bring it back. And you got to get into that flow. Again, there's that word flow. And the reason flow keeps coming up is you'll see everything is energy. You just can't get away from it. That's... uh, it's everywhere. And we're learning more and more that life is nothing but energy. And so the living organization framework is just really grounded in that concept and saying we as humans, as living, creative, imaginative species, which makes us different, hugely different than other living systems, we got this thing called imagination and it's phenomenal, but it's just energy. It's, it's the way we create. And if we learn to work with these energies we can do things a lot with a lot less effort, like going down the hill on skis is a lot easier than trudging through the snows foot by foot. And so that's that's what we're trying to accomplish. So those are the four skill sets, heart-centered wisdom, storytelling and ritual, integrating opposites, and improv mindset. Yeah, four fantastic skills. And look, if we had time, I'd like to dive into each. The first three, I guess, the heart-centered wisdom, the storytelling and rituals, and the improv mindset, to me it seems like such a foundation of connection with people, you know, opportunities to connect, which is a real key for me in that link to context. But the last one you mentioned, the integrating opposites, how challenging or not do you find that nowadays in getting leaders, especially to think around integrating opposites? And why I ask that is society seems to be one way or the other nowadays. You're either left or you're right or you're this or you're that. Talk to that a bit. You're right. I mean, integrating opposites is probably the most significant thing we can learn to do. And it's all relationship-based also. And you point out, you know, in a society, we see it all the time. But you can take it back to an organization. So 
I said individuals create their own reality by creating their own stories. They create the sense of right and wrong and how I should behave in any given situation. I mean, there's two dynamic forces. One is, how can I make sure I'm safe in this crazy world? (laughs) Because it's going to eat me up if I'm not. And two, how do I be successful? I want to be successful in life. You know, whatever that looks like, however a person defines success, they want that, right? And so we create what I call our worldview, right? Or, Or literally think of it as a world. And in that world, in that bubble, if you want, everything works really nice. And then I come across and I meet somebody that's not inside my world. Usually it's called another human being. And they're beautiful, but they have a different world shape or worldview and and they live in their world and it's beautiful in their world and everything works well. And now these two people come together and two worlds collide. (laughs) Now, some people call that conflict and it is, that's what conflict is. Two worlds are colliding. And most people view conflict as not so good. We should avoid it or minimize it or mitigate it or, or manage it and and I, I say, no, let's let's play with it. Let's dance with it. Let's embrace it. Because what that really does is it gives me as an individual the ability to expand my world by appreciating what their other worlds say. I'm an engineer, logical, rational. I come across a person who's an artist, totally chaotic. If I open myself up to understanding the beauty, I go, you know, I can play with chaos once in a while. That's not too bad. And look at all the creativity and the inspiration that comes out of it. And then I can take the chaos and organize it in my nice little world. (laughs) And then the chaos person or the artist person says, oh, you know, I get a little bit more efficient than what I'm doing if I add just a tiny bit of organization to my chaotic world. I don't have to give up my whole chaos, right? That's called integrating opposites. Now, put it in practical terms. My sales department has one personality one worldview. And in their worldview, the rest of the organization has to operate to fit their worldview. And the classic thing is, hey, listen, without sales, you don't get the lights on. So do it our way. You're here to support us. We're the kingpins, right? And you can almost see that in almost every sales organization in one form or another. And they're right in their world. But operations, who wants to help sales, simply sells well. You know, if you really understood what we're trying to deal with, if you just give us somewhat accurate forecast, we can actually give you product in time to deliver. So again, two different worldviews. All it takes is learning to integrate the opposing points of view. So integrating opposites is really another very critical element. And I hope I, I gave you some practical insight to how that gets applied. You did, mate. And once again, you articulate things really well. I love that whole dance with conflict. I'm a believer with you. Conflict is a good thing provided it's around issues and topics that we really want to get a great outcome for. As soon as it crosses that boundary in a personality, it gets a bit dubious, doesn't it? And here again, I'll just drop back. Heart-centered wisdom opens us up to being able to listen. We don't feel threatened. We have psychological safety within us when we're in that state of frequency. So we can open and, and explore and discover with the other. And we're creating that sacred, safe, psychological safety space for them to share their point of views because we're not going to jump on them. And so, you know, that's why heart-centered wisdom is really a foundational skill to almost everything. Great link back, mate. Thank you very much. Look, to start to wrap this up, can you give all of this years of experience you've had and all of this wondering and pondering you've done to, you've done to come up with the living organization approach, what advice would you give, a single bit of advice you'd give to leaders in 
helping them go forward in looking at their organization as more of a living organization versus some mechanical machine, as you put it. Can I give two pieces of advice? <laughs> Why not? Is, it's Friday. Let's let's relax a bit. The first is play with the notion, see the organization, each department or each business unit, whatever reports directly to you as a leader. If you're a business unit leader and you have sales and uh, marketing and operations reporting to you, see each of those departments as a person and just play with that. Give it a name. See if it feels more masculine in nature or more feminine in nature. And I'm not talking about, you know, the male-female roles, but more of the energetic. See if it's more logical, rational, or if it's more caring or nurturing. See if you can identify its personality traits. Play with that concept and open up to that. The second one is I'd ask them to imagine life as flow that if they were creating the results with ease and effortlessness, what would that mean to them personally? How would their life be? If they can deal with all of the struggles and challenges of their organization that they're facing now, and it just looked like an easy flow down a river, a couple of maybe white water things, but confident that the people in the boat with you can, can navigate that. And you can develop them to navigate even more challenging ripples that'll come along. What would life feel like for you? That'll begin to hopefully open them, open curiosity to want to explore some more. Mate, just sharing that has put me in a nice, calm mental state, actually. So I look forward to continuing that. (laughs) Mate, people who want to learn a bit more about you and the Living Organization Framework, how can they do that? Well, the easiest way is go to our website, obviously, uh, www.quantumleaders.com. We always give away a free gift for anybody that joins your podcast. So just go to quantumleaders.com forward slash podcast, and you'll get the first three chapters of my book for free. And if any of the leaders listening to this podcast is interested, we have workshops available, webinars available. We have an events page on our menu screen. So just go to our menu and look up events, click on that. We put on a workshop for leaders, people who are in charge of a group of people to make things happen. And we also put on workshops for consultants who want to learn how to influence leaders to lead in a different way. So that's all available on our website. And we have a actually a Q&A session for our workshop coming up on March 25th. That's also on our website on the events page. So you can sign up for that if you want to learn more and engage with me on uh, what is actually covered in that workshop and how, the, how it can help you. So that's available. And we have our webinars, I think, the the second Wednesday of every month, starting at 8 a.m. Pacific time. So that might be a little challenging for people in in Australia. We haven't found a way to cover the whole globe in one time slot. Somebody's going to get up really early or go to bed really late. It's tough. It's tough. (laughs) (laughs) So those are are some of the ways you can get a hold of us. Thank you very much, mate. And, And thank you very much for the kind offer of your first few chapters of your book. I know I've downloaded the book. I haven't had an opportunity to read all of it yet, but for me, certainly worth worth the download and read some great concepts in there, which you've shared with us today, mate. So once again, we'll put all those links in the show notes. People will be able to get hold of you and make it really simple. So Norman, it's been a while coming, mate. I know that you and I spoke some time ago and connected through LinkedIn a while ago. 
you know, you've been very, very patient with me. I've had a bit of a, a backlog of, of guests to work through, but today's your time. You've shone fantastically. I really appreciate the information you've shared with us. I've felt that this conversation has just flowed nicely. I hope you have. I have to. It's been <laughs> an absolute pleasure. With, I, I just love dancing with hosts like you who just make it easy. So thank you. I really appreciate it. So once again, Norman, mate, thank you. It's been a privilege and thank you for being a guest on the Culture of Things podcast. And thank you for the work you do. It's wonderful. We're all trying to get life better for everybody. So thank you so much, Brandon. A pleasure. I found Norman to be such a calming presence. His soothing voice, combined with his worldly experience and wisdom, made me feel like he was moving with me, or should I say dancing with me. It allowed for the conversation to flow. Norman's also a man of many analogies. He shared a number during the conversation. I've always felt when people can explain frameworks or concepts through the use of analogies, they really know their stuff. They know it well enough to simplify it so anyone can understand it. Treating the organisation not like a machine, but like a human being, I think was one of his best. Straight away, this gave me an understanding of the living organisation. These were my three key takeaways from my conversation with Norman. My first key takeaway, culture is the organisation's personality. What an elegantly simple phrase which explains what is culture perfectly. Like people, every organisation has a personality. We'll get on better with some people than others based on whatever we value about a person's personality doesn't always mean that the personality is bad, just different and not one that resonates with who we are. Organisations and their culture are no different. Align yourself with an organisation that has a personality that best aligns with you. My second key takeaway, leaders must understand and work with context. According to Norman, context is the least addressed and most uncomfortable for leaders to deal with. For me, context is about connecting with people and having some common sense around people and their behaviours. Many factors can impact context, and if a leader cannot work with context or learn how to work with it, they should not be leading people. My third key takeaway, the greatest leaders will embrace integrating opposites. We seem to be in a world where opposing points of view is the norm. There's an ever-growing mob mentality mindset of where it's all okay, provided you agree with what the mob agrees with. The hardest thing to do is listen and seek to understand a point of view that you disagree with. Leaders who can use the skill of integrating opposites will stand alone as the greatest leaders. So in summary, my three key takeaways were, culture is the organization's personality. Leaders must understand and work with context. We all need to be better at integrating opposites. Don't forget to download the first three chapters of Norman's book, the Living Organization for free by going to quantumleaders.com forward slash podcast. You can find the culture of things on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Make sure you follow our pages to ensure you don't miss out on our exclusive content. To another of our listeners, I don't know your real name, but you call yourself a young guy having a crack. Well done to you for having a crack. And thank you for the cracking review you left on Apple Podcasts. Feel free to drop me a note and let me know who you are. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to leave a comment on the socials like so many of you have done or send me a message at brendanrogers.com.au. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Until next time.
Thank you for listening to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. Please visit brendanrogers.com.au to access the show notes. If you love the Culture of Things podcast, please subscribe, rate and give a review on Apple Podcasts. And remember, a healthy culture is your competitive advantage. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.